Web3 right now is, I would consider it in a bit of a bubble. And even when I sit down to produce a shit post that I post on Twitter and people can laugh at, it probably doesn't resonate with 99.9% of people out there because they're not in this bubble that we call Web3 yet. And I guess the biggest challenge is how do we take that bubble and wrap it around the world? That was David Morrison, Chief Community Engagement at the Near Foundation. I really enjoyed this episode because, well, it can only really be described as solid banter between two friends, an Englishman and his fellow Aussie convict. At times, it may seem like we're going a little bit off the rail with conspiracy theories, but in reality, we actually end up at a really nice place uncovering some of the principles and the ethos that started and fueled the crypto movement to this day, and most importantly, how the technology can be used to solve some of the world's most pressing issues. We also spent a bit of time thinking of the challenges of how to communicate what the technology can do and the potential that lies ahead in such a way that is inviting for new builders and, most importantly, users. Without further ado, I'll let you jump into this wide-ranging and hilarious conversation with David, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. Bye! Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast with me, AVB. Today, it is an absolute honor to have with me Britain's most famous TikToker in the very niche category of the near ecosystem. <laughs> Amongst other things, David Morrison is also part of the Near Foundation. Welcome, David. Thank you very much, Alejandro, for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. Is that the best introduction you've ever had? <laughs> That's the best introduction you're going to get. So just to give the context for everybody listening, I'm withdrawing from nicotine. So I'm going to try and be as joyful and as happy as I can, but it's more than likely that this cynical Brit will come out of me in a, li a little bit more. But yeah, I'm completely overwhelmed to be here. I listen to podcasts all the time. I think it's wonderful. And as Alejandro has mentioned, I am part of the Near Foundation. I've recently been promoted in terms of title. So that's exciting. I'm now community engagement lead. I think the TikToks have been seen by the people who need to see them and they've cringed through enough of them to say, hey, maybe he's onto something. That is amazing. Congratulations for many things. First of all, I know that quitting nicotine is not an easy task. So we have a support group here. I've always personally been more of a sugar addict rather than alcohol and cigarettes. But yeah, I tried giving up sugar and I know how distressful <laughs> in general it can be both for yourself and the people around you. So we'll try to keep this one nice and easy. Uh, also, congratulations on the new title. Thank I was actually going to ask what your title was, because even though I've known you for a very long time, I genuinely didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I don't think, I don't think that jobs... All right, companies like the Near Foundation, people get so hooked on titles. They know that in the corporate, Wall Street, and financial world, people love to have titles that begin with C and whatnot. Whereas at Near Foundation, it's certainly like more, what can you add to the ecosystem? And then your title is, it doesn't really matter. It just looks better on a CV. By the way, the, so this is meant to be recording locally and that it uploads yeah. in highest quality. Because I don't know if you can see me, but I can see one big pixel for your face. <laughs> I also tried having an interview with 
Ted from New Nords. And mate, I gotta say the internet in the UK has not been kind to the World Answer Interviews podcast so far. So the internet in the UK is decent and is pretty good in some places, but apparently in London, which is the capital city, one of the biggest cities in the world, the financial capital of the world. So they say the internet is garbage. And it's apparently it's because they want to get the old roads up to stick the new fiber optic cables in. But that might just be what they're bullshitting me on the phone. Interesting. If you think about it, it makes sense. But yeah. Anyway, no, I really like that approach in regards to like titles and relationships within an organization. But what is most interesting to me is that for better or worse, you can actually feel it on the community side. One of the things that a lot of people mention about the new community is that it's very approachable. Everyone is very level-headed, very humble. And yeah, technically we did work together. We both sat in the marketing towel for a while. So I guess that we were equals in that regard. But yeah, very broadly across the near spectrum, it's yeah, very open-ended. Like we've had many different interactions in many, many regards. So congratulations of the new title, although we have established it means nothing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I guess it looks better on a CV, right? That's it. We're just going off what you said that we have worked together in the past and you mentioned that we're equal. And I think that's the whole point of Web3 and Neo. It's the great equalizer because the smart contracts that you interact with don't know if you're the CEO of Barclays or if you are an unemployed person who lives on the streets. Like they couldn't give a shit and they couldn't care. What can we also, can we swear? Because it just falls out my mouth sometimes. Yes. Okay. Yes, as right. much as you want. Okay, perfect. Well, smart well, actually, you tell me because I'm trying to get sponsorship for the podcast. I don't know if we should be claiming it, but... Okay. I'm not nah, kidding. Be all right. Let's go for it. Go for your life. Yeah, yeah nobody gives a fuck. But in the same way that, that the protocols don't give a fuck, and that's the whole point of it. So I would agree that every single person in the near ecosystem is equal and everybody has a certain amount of value that they can add. But, but what I find interesting is that Web3... Is it just trying to recreate Web2? That's a natural progression. But at a protocol level, we're really trying to recreate basically all of society as we know it, but in a technical way. So when you think about the security models and all these things. So I think that you must have that ethos of not giving a shit or at least making sure that all your shits are towards the important stuff. Because... We can't really sugarcoat things. If they're not done correctly, you got a $100 million hack. <laughs> if they're not done correctly, your competition takes over all the developers. Like, we really are as fun as it is. And I always give a shout out to the insane people in the NFT world making this bearable for us. As fun as Web3 may be, shout out to all the conferences. It is really, I guess, as raw as it gets. I think most other areas in life because we have such high levels of socialization, we're actually a bit isolated from that real world, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes complete sense. And I think you're absolutely right, because Web3 right now is, I would consider it in a bit of a bubble. And even when I sit down to produce a shit post that I post on Twitter and people can laugh at, it probably doesn't resonate with 99.9% .9 of people out there because they're not in this bubble that we call Web3 yet. And I guess the biggest challenge is how do we take that bubble and wrap it around the world? Yes. And here is, if we were to like break down that challenge a bit further, 
I think I'm in the same position as you in the sense that it's very easy to connect with people that are already in Web3 so we can create content for our own entertainment. But then I have to have the awareness that a lot of the people in Web3, quote unquote, the actual builders. So their day job duties can be completely fulfilled by being within that bubble. That's where the responsibility ends. And then I'm in between two worlds and I was like, shit, I have to record a podcast. And ideally people, it will be approachable. And I see not only for people outside of Web3, but people across time and space. If somebody joins the ecosystem in September, 2022, and for reference, we're recording this in the last few days of June, 2022, and they'll be able to pick up concepts, enjoy it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge that we have. I think that in a really paradoxical way, many of the problems that are happening in the world right now are actually helping us because every good product manager would tell you the stronger the pain point for the user, the more likely they are to change. So at least people are, I feel like maybe more open-minded to at least start to entertain the ideas around why decentralization and how is this different from what came before it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think you've seen that firsthand even in the crypto space, right? Because if you look at these quote unquote unbanked societies, the people on the margins of the financial system or the people in countries that have astronomical inflation like Turkey right now. These are the big adopters of crypto, right? Like it's huge in Africa and it's huge in war-torn countries. We just raised with Neo 14 million, I think, plus for Ukraine. And people are starting to see the applications for it rather than just investing in fucking Dogecoin, Shiba, Inu, Elon, chocolate token on BNB or whatever it is. I just find it fascinating that the cycle never ends. I don't know if people know, are you much of a history man? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, with it within, I'm not obsessed with it, but I can get behind it. British history in particular though. Nice, nice. You may or may not know that it was actually Karl Marx that coined the term, the end of history. The perception behind his model and his view of the world was that once you reached that final stage of communism, there wouldn't really be any more progress. And I guess that in that regard, he was correct. <laughs> but it was because he foresaw that as utopia. We wouldn't have a need to continue evolving. And I find it really interesting because that notion of the end of history is something that in a completely different context, you can still see in the way that some people see the world. Yeah, I just find it fascinating that even though Web 3 is better than Web 2, once you step into the next stage of the evolution, we still have a bunch of challenges. So a specific example that comes to mind is Turkey has very high inflation. It has a range of problems. The local people are no doubt best placed and best suited to solving those problems. Neo provides core infrastructure to enable them to do that. And within the very active near communities in Turkey, there's now a split. <laughs> and now we have two separate communities in Turkey. Look, this is going to happen regardless, in my opinion. Like, it is probably a good sign of a growing ecosystem that there are multiple spots of activity. It could be regional, they could be by interest, whatever the case may be. This split was maybe a bit more contentious along the way, but it's just the cycle of grouping, what's it called? Grouping and, uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Like ebbs and flows. Yes. So I'm still trying to heat on because I'm freezing, but I'm still listening. Go for it, man. Yeah, absolutely. You're freezing, I'm sweating my bollocks off in this one-bedroom London flat. Is that your actual apartment? I thought there was a fake background. That's wow, That's beautiful compared to where I live. House sitting for six weeks. So there's actually yeah. a cat somewhere 
may have actually looked the cat outside. Yeah, it's actually really nice. I got a fantastic deal. It's funny because I thought I was getting a brilliant deal. But the owner is off in the UK visiting his family. So I think he's laughing because I basically paid and he's holidaying there. But yeah, enjoy what you can. That's it. I would like to pick up on something that you just said. You said, obviously, Web3 is better than Web2. Do you think that's the case right now? I have to remind myself constantly that Web3 is a really broad term and that maybe I've been within the new ecosystem for too long. I think most of Web3 is actually shit. Like, I am eternally impressed by people in Ethereum that still see high gas costs as good because the supply reduces and the price goes up. And I was like, yeah, that's good if you were involved in 2017. Like, protecting your bags doesn't lead to growth of an ecosystem. In fact, most people are joining today. They tell you, right, A, why the fuck would anyone pay $30 for a transaction? And B, why would I come in to pump your bags? Like, the extraction of value is too direct and too on your face. It's in a weird way because they know that it's not, but it almost feels like a Ponzi. Like you're rejoicing the fact that new people will pay more to pump your bags. If you look at the Binance Smart Chain, there's a bunch of unethical stuff there. I think they never had a good foundation. Like each chain that you look at, there are challenges. They're not unsurmountable. I do believe that they could deal with them in due time. We're actually pretty close with the Solana community, as much as we like to joke about their boot and reboot. And yeah. But yeah, overall, there was some point where I kind of understood that near, it's basically in a separate lane. Like we're Web3 because we're there with the others and, and we have NFTs. But these guys really are building like the infrastructure for that next internet. And even if you look at Pagoda now, on a mission to build all the components to be able to deploy a startup like you would if you were in Web2, which was always my framework for reference. And when you know that we're in a bubble, if you have a real business, you launch an AWS and you go to YZ Combinator. <laughs> if you have a crypto business, you are doing something that your mother does not understand. And it's probably like, yeah. And that's my perception. I think the near ecosystem gives me hope. We take our time to build. There are people with the right vision. It is decentralized. We really can't control everyone. And it is growing a lot. But yeah, maybe that's what I'm trying to communicate more that there is a path that may be more suitable. What is your perception? Yeah, I, I would actually argue that right now, Web3 is not better than Web2 for the vast majority of people who interact with it. And what I mean by that is, is if you take a look at something like the iPhone, when Steve Jobs built the iPhone, he set out to make it the most user-friendly thing possible. And now everybody's mom and everybody's grandma and everyone's granddad, they, can, they all have iPhones, right? Or they all have some version of a spin-off of a smartphone, which operates in a similar way because they focused on the user experience. But when... Certainly when Bitcoin or when Satoshi put finger to keyboard back in 2008, he wrote the white paper. As much as I love that piece of work, it's, it's too complex. And Ethereum is exactly the same. And I would argue that the vast majority of blockchains are exactly the same. But the thing that attracted me to Nia is that really at the protocol level, they've attempted, I'm not going to say that it's fully there yet, because it certainly isn't, but they've attempted 
to optimize the user experience. And you can see that when you create a wallet, when you get a human readable name without having to jump through 50 hoops to get an ENS on Ethereum and then register it for X amount of years and then pay $150 in gas fees if there's high congestion and then have that transaction fail and then you lose your money and then you, you spend the rest of the night at a bar crying into your pint. And I think that is, is the most alluring feature of this blockchain. And I think that is the only way, with the exception of a handful of others, to really get quote unquote mass adoption of the head that um, a billion new long band, whatever it might be. I think that people need a reason to believe that it is possible to start working towards it. Like we're definitely years away. If we look at patterns, the iPhone initially was actually not that impressive. I don't know how old you were. I was like young, but old enough that I had an iPod and old enough that I wanted an iPhone. And my parents were like, it's really expensive. And if you have an iPod on one hand and your Motorola on the other, you kind of have both. There was a transition there where the infrastructure itself didn't provide value. What the iPhone did, which was pretty insane, and we didn't realize until 10 years later was, they disintermediated like a bunch of people and they enabled companies to access users on their screen, on their hand. Anyone could build an app and be right there in people's hand. And Apple provided the discovery through the App Store. And look, we may hate them because we've been paying the Apple tax 30% for 14 years, 15 years, 16 years. But the reality is there's a dedicated Apple team and they check every single app, no malware, it works, it has a standard, etc. And yeah, it fundamentally... I know that people overuse the term, but this may be one of the few instances where it is real. There was a Cambrian explosion of innovation. Dude, I remember like 2008, 2009, the joke was, oh, there's a nap for that. They go, like, oh, you might be constipated. I got to drink water at night. There's a nap. It was really empowering for people to be able to just go out there and build and be able to distribute to people. So I think that blockchain may be a higher level of abstraction now, but I think that it also has that potential to just disintermediate like a bunch of people and go straight to the user and empower others to build and reach the audience directly. 1000%. You're absolutely right. And if you cast your mind back to when the iPhone first came out and every single person I knew had that app on their phone where you tapped it and it filled up a fake beer and you poured it down your throat, it slowly disappeared. And everyone was like, oh, that's amazing. Oh my God. But it actually didn't add that much value. I think for a lot of Web3, that is where we are. We're at the beer drinking app phase. And in five years, 10 years, we're going to be at the thousands of value adding apps phase. Uh, the good thing is that the beer drinking app, if it were standalone, it's maybe like a fluke or a coincidence. There's a range of apps there to create an ecosystem to get us to the next stage. Like I remember when I went back to visit Venezuela, my friend's younger brother, <laughs> he was showing me this app. I think he actually paid for it. It was like, I don't remember the name, but it had pool in the name. And it was an app where you could basically like log every time you take a shit. And there was like a map of all the pools dropping. And it's just ridiculous. But. It was probably the early days, or at least the same technology that would enable Uber later on and probably Tinder, if you think about it. So I think that NFTs are probably that now. We are stress testing and developing all the technology. 
that will be used for more complex use cases down the line. And in the meantime, there's just fun. Yep, absolutely. It's just, it's the early adopters experimenting with it. I would love to have the statistics as to how many full-time app developers there were in, in 2006, 2007, compared to how many full-time app developers there are right now, 15, 16 years on. It would be an astronomical growth, I assume. For sure. That's when you realize that for Web3, we're actually doing really well because even like tech in general, I feel like they are having challenges in communicating to younger people, the career pathways available to them. Like I, when I was at university not long ago, about five years ago, I studied arts and law, like liberal arts. And I was asking like, why do we have every single double degree combination for law? except computer science, which you would have thought it's the one in most demand. Like the one in most demand actually is engineering, extremely high demand, like insanely well-paid consultants and like copyright patents and stuff. And I had the opportunity to meet someone from the computer science faculty and they were like, yeah, we've been trying for years, but the law faculty doesn't see the value in it. Anyway, I found out that after a couple of years, they finally ruled out the double degree. So I should probably stop saying the story. But what I'm trying to say is their perception of what a career is hasn't really updated. Like a lot of young people still see prestige and status in something like the law, which I guess we'll always have. But you can probably make a lot more money. And if you get satisfaction from building things, like seeing the output of your work, being able to have more creative input into it, the law can be extremely dry. We don't have it yet. And likewise, after I decided the law was not for me, I started training into product management. And it was like a moment of discovery. Wait, this exists? I spent how many hundreds of thousands in this piece of shit law degree? I, I could have done product management online <laughs> for a tiny fraction. And there's so much more demand. And once again, like, it's the sort of things that even if you come in with nothing, if you have the right sort of skills, aptitudes, interests, you can just pick it up. Like it's very self-feeding feedback. What's your academic background, Mr. Morris? Oh, interesting that you asked that because I actually also started with a law degree in a university in the Northeast of England. And I did it for the first year and I thought it was the most fucking boring, dull year of my entire life, education-wise, the rest of it was amazing. First year at university, so you can imagine what people got up to. So I did that for a year and I said, fuck this, I'm not wasting my time doing this. I can't have my head in the book for the rest of my life. I will just go crazy. So I dropped out and then I started again next year. I say I dropped out. Actually, I just stopped going to lessons so I could still get my student loan payment and still drink. And then the year after, I, uh, I studied computer and digital forensics which is a computer science degree for two years. And then in your final year, you basically crack into mobile phones and use Wireshark to sniff packets going through the internet and things. And it sounds exciting, but it's actually really boring. But lucky for me, in my final year, for my penultimate piece of work, I wrote a 25,000 word thesis entitled a forensic investigation into Bitcoin and Tor, which I think helped me get my foot in the door of the industry that we're in now. That is an amazing journey, sir. I congratulate you. I know one too many broken souls 
perhaps myself included, that certainly halfway through realized that the law was maybe not for them. Like maybe no one hits a certainty point until you find something else that you can do. <laughs> but you certainly realize that what's there now, it's just not for you. But yeah, I did graduate and yeah, it is what it is. If you, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the Bitcoin and torrent figures when I was yeah, at university, I read this book called The Darknet by Jamie Bartlett, another fellow English man. And yeah, he just went deep into the dark web and, and Tor and Bitcoin. And I was like, what? There is a world we have no access to, no knowledge of. So like a good researcher following the scientific method, bought some Bitcoin. It was the dodgiest deal. I don't even, it was like some quasi exchange. I had to deposit cash in a bank of Queensland and wait, like I had to ask for a receipt. The teller was like, are you sure you want to do this? This is a hundred percent a scam. <laughs> doing this. And yeah, then I bought some stuff online. It's a, it's a very, it's very thorough research, very thorough, which is funny because that's one thing that no one tells you. If you hear someone saying I was involved with Bitcoin in 2013, they were a hundred percent buying drugs online. So. Full 100%. Full disclosure, the only reason I'm in crypto is because I went to university in my first year, 2013, 14, and I was at a party and somebody came over and basically said, you know, you could buy drugs online with Bitcoin. And I said, that's bullshit. What's Bitcoin? And then we had, we followed a very similar path, Alejandro. I just think you were in a warmer climate. And then, and I go on and uh, surely, yes, you can in fact buy an assortment of drugs with big, yeah, I had a good first year at university, but I didn't do much studying, but I think that's a journey that a lot of people go on. I feel like you had such a good time. You wanted to have your first year twice. That's, so instead of no, a separate degree and you were a first year good. I couldn't have put it better myself. You're absolutely right. You think of it like that. Why not? That's what I'm going to tell my mom the next time she asks me why I'm doing this Bitcoin stuff and not in a law office. Yes. <laughs> My mom said, I want you to finish a degree. I just want to put the, like the paper degree on my wall. I don't give a shit what you do afterwards. And I was like, thank you, mom. You know how much a degree is costing? But anyway, just for the people listening at home, probably a lot of the younger generations, the focus in modern times, say two old grandpas, bring out the pipe. Oh shit. No, sorry. No nicotine. No. The, the focus in modern times. <laughs> I'm the worst kind of stammer. And I, think that, I do feel like the focus in modern times obviously is always on the sexy things, like the interesting things. So we talk about the drugs. But in reality, there is an element to innovation that was so wild. This is like the early days of the start of rage. The early days of Facebook. Like Instagram, I don't think it was even a thing. Or maybe it had just been acquired. Like at least I think it was 2013. The fact that you could go into a completely unregulated, no companies, no identities, no bloody consumer protection laws and all these standards to make sure that all the feelers are there, nothing. It was a wild marketplace, think like a very bare bones eBay that worked. Like the way in which criminals and people who were seeking drugs interacted, there was a reputation mechanism, which worked with hilarious reviews, by the way, there was an escrow system, which worked like 
unreal how people were able to get along among themselves. And that's when you realized that this marketplace, which happened to be illegal, which just goes to height and how much harder it is to do business in that space, it works better than half the countries on earth because these fucking stupid politicians are in the way of doing business. And I'm not advocating for drugs to be made legal. I'm advocating for everything else in life to be made legal. <laughs> like the amount of red tape is ridiculous. Here you can't even ride a bloody bicycle without a fucking helmet on. <laughs> so anyway, that's why it was so striking and why from the very beginning you get people that come to Web3 and they're like, yes, we're going to build the future and we don't really care or know if it's legal or not because the future by default doesn't exist. You can't regulate what doesn't exist. You're able to regulate in such a way that you prevent the future because no one can build stuff. But if we do it first, we'll show you guys the way. That was like the early day ethos. I don't know what the fuck is happening anymore. NFT sort of like warped the game, but. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like, it was almost like a, a foray into self-governance, right? Like the reputation system on those markets and the escrow system and even the amount of effort and the customer service you got from moderators, that, from admins was second to none. And uh, just a quick disclaimer. I am still employed by the Near Foundation. We do abide to regulations and we will always fight for appropriate regulations when it's appropriate to do so. But also, from my personal point of view, up the regulators to an extent. And if David becomes unemployed... <laughs> by the way, David, I do have to warn you. I have a pretty bad record of getting people on the podcast. And yeah. very soon after... They're related to the podcast, I should clarify. Definitely. But Definitely. very soon after, look, I'm happy that they were able to tell the story. I'm happy that there will be a record. And even though we never found out what happened afterwards, their memory will live on. And I hope that they remain active within the community. I have nothing but respect to all our contributors, past, present, and future. Completely agree. But yeah. If you live in astrology and getting jinxed, I just really hope you're not the next one. Yes. Fingers crossed. I think that being active in the Web3 ecosystem lends itself to opportunities, which are not there for most industries, at least not as visible, because I like to, at least I hope that should circumstances change and I be on the job market again, that I could speak to five or six people that I know and hopefully find a job the next day, right? I think that would certainly be the case for you. I know that it's an extremely fluid market and people do appreciate initiative experience. Like in my early days, I was just very active on the Telegram and the Discord. So I literally started from like the lowest of the low, completely anonymous account. And as I was getting a bit more noticed on the Twitter and whatnot, both Ozzy Diaz and Peter from Flux messaged me very close to each other, actually. And with a very similar line, like, hey, what is your day job? Are you like looking for opportunities? And yeah, things sort of started popping up from there. I should have learned to say no at some point, because I guess I went from being desperate, maybe desperate is the word, but I was just like very eager 
So when opportunities presented, I was like, yes, the ecosystem is growing so fast. That at some point, you have to say, you know, or at least close a cycle before the next one. So yes, I'm confident that you'll be able to find something should the worst happen. But just going back to the regulation aspect, and this is why I really like history. Most people, well, a lot of people, it's a common mistake of thinking like a mental model gone wrong to assume that the way that things are now are the way that they've always been. And by default, the way that they will always be, because that's the regulation now, that's how it's intended to be. But when you look at the history of things actually have changed very fast. Like in, in, in policy, I know that maybe you didn't get that far in your degree, but we call it like, a, like an overturn window or like a window of opportunity. So say after a big tragedy or after a big shock in the market or whatever the case may be, then you introduce changes gradually. But most legislation is looking backwards. They look at what happened in the past and then they write something to prevent that. In fact, I can give you the best example, which is probably the worst example. Going into World War II, we dissolved the League of Nations. What used to be the equivalent of the United Nations, we dissolved that motherfucker. We went to war, we nuked each other. And afterwards, we created the United Nations and drafted crimes against humanity and hate crimes. If you look at the way that those crimes have been drafted, they're very specific to what happened in World War II. And a bunch of stuff written, looking backwards, then wouldn't actually capture what is happening now. So it's really interesting when you really push people to think critically, be like, look, maybe something written 60 years ago with a very fresh memory of what happened two years before that is not capturing what is happening now, which doesn't mean that it's right. And there's so many examples. Body car manufacturers advocating for seatbelts to not be required. <laughs> and it's just like chemicals everywhere. Like it's, yeah. Look, I think, I think, especially in the realm of tech, it's always going to be faster than regulation, right? It's just the nature of both worlds. I think the world of legislation and regulation, particularly politically motivated ones, is a slow world and it's bound by red tape. And it's certainly not the same type of red tape that we experience in Web3 right now. But it is our responsibility, not necessarily me and you personally, but the major players in the world of Web3 to take that forward looking approach. And I think Ryan Selkis from Mazari is, is doing a really good job of this. And I think the Near Foundation are doing a good job of it as well with the goal of being more active and engaged in sculpting these regulations because they are going to come. And I know I said fuck the regulators before. To an extent, I think that regulation can be healthy and that they can nurture a, an industry which is the best for everybody involved. But... As it so often is the case, regulators overreach. And I think if you give them an inch, they take a mile. A hundred percent. I would probably categorize myself as a libertarian. But when I meet real libertarians in the wild, I sometimes take a step back. So I guess that I do focus and over-index the regulations that are obviously outdated and that I feel are holding progress back. That doesn't mean that all regulation is bad. In fact, you probably find instances where I'm actually calling for existing regulation to actually be enforced. If there's like an outright fraud, I don't really care if it's Web3, if it's digital, if it's a farm, if it's an outright fraud, 
that's just illegal. You shouldn't be defrauding people and stuff like that. Things that would be illegal in a criminal sense. I don't support that, except online marketplaces for drugs. <laughs> yeah, maybe eight years ago. Uh, but I think that the such uh, limitations. <laughs> I think the important thing for regulators is to try to understand what is it that they regulate. Because, once again, because they've been able to regulate to such a granular detail, because we have so much experience in all these industries, it almost feels like they're regulating the end product or they're able to regulate along the journey so that the end product is predictable. That's not possible in technology. So that's why we need to push back and say, hey, unless something is blatantly illegal, you have no fucking idea what the future is going to look like. That Don't even try to pretend how this is going to play out. In fact, there was a really funny meme. You may have seen it. You may have, maybe you created it. You're pretty good at this. Maybe. When Europe tried to regulate smartphones and it's like the old Nokia. <laughs> and now that they're trying to regulate, I think something else. It was at parallel. Like it just didn't go well for them. Yeah, you've got to be careful, right? And of course, I, as an individual, I've no say in this, but you probably read the news that I believe it's the European Union and certainly the Netherlands are regulating, are requiring crypto exchanges to collect the full name, address, and reason for sending funds to an unhosted wallet, right? Quote, unquote, unhosted, non-custodial wallet, MetaMask, Neo wallet, Kepler, whatever it might be. I'm quite lucky to live in the UK because they have came out and recognized that is an overreach. And I think if the entire industry doesn't play its cards correctly, that's going to be a big problem. It's going to be a big problem for the people who joined crypto for those libertarian reasons, for the kind of fuck the government, Bitcoin is fuck you money type of thought process. But on the other hand, Web3 is changing, right? It's not just Bitcoin anymore. And it's not just Ethereum anymore. But this is where I think, and I'm not a citizen of any of those countries, I wouldn't advise anyone to break the law, wink, wink, and nudge. But if it were in a parallel universe, like a sci-fi kind of world, you know, three-body problem, excellent book. I think this is where a healthy dose of like civil disobedience comes in. Like I would set up a bot and do $10 transfer every 20 minutes. Reasons? Blow jobs. It's not illegal, I mean, whatever. Find a reason that it's not like illegal, but just add so much paperwork and have those fuckers go up in parliament. I explain, why do we have a $100 million task force monitoring people paying for X random stuff with cryptocurrencies? We don't do it with anything else. Why should we do it with this? I find that young people these days are very activist on some things, there's broader narratives there that you got to wonder where they're coming from. But overall, we have seen a big, I think that the possibility of political change is always there. Like for instance, in Australia, and I feel like the world needs an update. Yes, we had horrible lockdowns. It was absolutely shit. But the federal governments since then, they've lost, they've all been replaced, including noticeably the treasurer who was up next for prime minister. He lost his seat. He's out. And in my state, they have elections later this year, just this week, four of the senior ministers that were during COVID, including the health minister, they've all resigned. There's literally like the prime minister left and two randos. 
and the Twitter is getting pretty active. Like, it's really interesting to see that there is change. At least the people rotate, the policies are the same and the struggle never ends. But there's certainly a sense that if they introduce something that makes no sense or can hold back an industry that could bring like meaningful progress, hopefully we're able to place people. It's usually really healthy when you have multiple countries trying to work on the same industries or areas because you can compare policy. I feel like we're very lucky in Australia because we compare everything we do with the UK. The yours is shit and ours is better or ours is shit and yours is better, but you always have a sounding board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the political situation is like in, in Australia, but, and I can't comment for everyone here in the UK, but certainly young people are not satisfied with leadership. And I think that Bitcoin, and I think that some people think that crypto as a whole can act as like a silent protest to it all, right? Like just by using it, you're opting out of the current financial system. You're opting out of being trapped on every single purchase that you may. And I think that in itself is quite powerful. But if we want to make real change, then we need to be heard and it needs to be a non-silent protest. So Twitter is a great platform for it. Real life is a great platform for it. I'm sure in the US there's Brian Armstrong may well be paying for lobbyists to, to rally around crypto because it's just so essential, I believe, for the future of everything. Yes, I agree. I am curious about what young people are dissatisfied with. Because for instance, I've got a, I don't know why I get along really well with Germans. I think we just like balance each other out. I'm like on the insane spectrum. And most of the Germans that I meet are like, they're like really cool, but in like a geeky way. <laughs> I don't know, the average German that I've met, it's like what you would consider like a geek in Australia. Yeah. Anyway, we get along really well. I'd like to go to Germany again. What are the stories? Most of them were like on the younger spectrum and like they cared about the environment and stuff. But now you have Germany shutting down nuclear plants, <laughs> relying on Russian gas and turning on the coal plants. And it's okay. The idea behind protecting the environment, we can all get behind. Where in the equation do we introduce like common sense or accountability? What the fuck is Germany doing? Like it is borderline criminal to shut down a nuclear plant to turn on a coal plant. Like where is Greta Thunberg? I want to see the lawsuits from Greta to the German geniuses because it makes no sense. And these are the people that were elected, at least a fair representative, to look after the green stuff. What are they doing? Look, yeah, it depends how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Because if you want to get your tinfoil out and throw a hat on, I think there's a lot of... Yes, 40 minutes in, tinfoil and housing out. Yes, yes. There's a lot of rich and powerful people and groups and organizations which have an agenda. Everybody has an agenda, but... That agenda may not necessarily line up with what's best for the people. And that is what is so brilliant to me about a smart contract enabled platform like Ethereum and Neo and all of the other blockchains out there, or most of the other blockchains out there. The idea that you can remove a single corruptible entity, a middleman from almost any process is magnificent, right? Because you can't bribe 
a small contract. You can't swear the opinion of a small contract by taking them out to dinner, by buying them a car or a yacht. It's just not possible. I really like where the conversation is going because I think what differentiates conspiracy theorists, quote unquote, between Web3 builders, whatever, is that we have the tools to do something about the things that we're dissatisfied with or that we just don't like and trust. We, like conspiracy theorists, may be lacking some of the evidence about some of the things that we claim or patterns that we notice, whatever it is. But we're building something or working towards an alternative. So I guess that with that line of thinking and you, sir, as a new community engagement something, I'm just really curious how, would it be reasonable to say that perhaps conspiracy theorists, and uh, people use it in a demeaning way, but this is just very loosely a term for people that are, they have beliefs of things that are being done that are wrong, but maybe lacking the evidence, because obviously the evidence may be hidden or whatever. Would it be right to say that maybe they would be a really good target to go after and share with them the technology and try to empower them in ways, you know, maybe pull them a little bit from like the purely conspiratorial rabbit hole, which can get super crazy and maybe more into the pragmatic side. Okay, let's do something. There's something that we don't like and there are tools available for people to coordinate action and to really build an alternative. What would you build? Or I mean, what can you do to help us? Yeah, it's a good question because firstly, I would ask everybody listening this. Let's say that there isn't any corrupt politicians and there are no corrupt organizations and there are no big X industries which have an agenda. If we can build a platform which 100% verifies that X, Y, or Z is not being corrupted and it has full transparency, then shouldn't we do it anyway just so that we don't have to trust and we can verify, right? That's the whole ethos of certainly of Bitcoin and to an extent part of the wider world of Web3. Yeah, I agree. Look, that is, I'd say that's been my favorite saying since I heard it. And I'm pretty sure it is on one of the tote bags that I got at East Denver. Trust, but verify. There are several instances recently that I can think of people that got offended or angry or just didn't understand why you wouldn't trust something and how would you dare to ask for verification? I was like, this should be the standard. <laughs> I trust you, but there should be a way to verify. And if there isn't, there should be a really good explanation of why that is the exception. Like a really good example recently, and not to get too political, but I think with the COVID stimulus packages in the US, they sent money to like everyone and they pre-approved a bunch of corporate money. Surprise. Now they have statistics. Something like 600 billion in fraud. 600 billion. Like it's more than basically the entire crypto market cap right now. Don't quote me on the specific numbers. I may be mixing the numbers, but it doesn't matter. The point is huge amounts of fraud. And it's like anyone could have told you that. Like you're literally distributing trillions like a drunk sailor. Of course, there's going to be a shit ton of corruption. Like whose brain 
would automatically go to assume that everyone applying for this money, which was being given away, was doing that on the right grounds. Nobody was checking. So anyway, it's just really frustrating that now we act surprised. Oh, who could have thought? I can tell you who could have thought. Random anonymous accounts on Twitter were warning about this since day one. How did all the professionals didn't see this problem? Why are we burdened now with the consequences when you guys didn't do your job? Yeah, we, I could dive into this, talk to you about it for two days straight, but what would the solution to that have been from a decentralized, trustless standpoint? Well, on one hand, you could make sure that everybody has a Neo wallet, an Ethereum wallet, a Polygon, a Capital wallet, Bitcoin wallet, whatever, and that they've all passed KYC and that every single person just has essentially an airdrop of X amount of money to their wallet. That's never going to happen. But what will happen, at least what I think will happen, is that governments around the world will slowly start to digitize further every single part of their financial system, and they will produce central bank digital currencies with the premise that they're solving things like this and they're solving financial crime. But there's an incredible thread from, I think it's Punk6542. I might've gotten the numbers wrong, but this key opinion leader, quote unquote, on, on Twitter, and he basically breaks down why financial freedom and the ability to transact is so important because if you get put on a blacklist by a centralized entity, the government, whoever it might be, for whatever reason, and the only way you can make purchases in the world is with your central bank digital currency. And they say, hey, you can't buy alcohol anymore. You can't fill up your car anymore. You're not allowed to buy a plane ticket. The only thing you can buy is food. That's as good as prison. Back in the day, my grandparents told me this story. in school in Venezuela. We always had a democracy. We were the longest standing democracy. Oh, I guess I was recently. But, you know, those democracies of democracies, right? I forget the name, but one of the you know, quasi-dictators that we had, we had free and fair elections. So you went to the booth and they gave you two cards, a different color for each, for each candidate. You voted free, fair, by putting the card of your candidate on a box. And then you walked out with the other card. The military could stop you on the street and ask which card you had left. And if you had the wrong card, you were fucked. So it's a good example of, yes, there are many reasons why privacy matters, why being resilient to this kind of, it really is manipulation. Because if people know that is what is going to happen, you actually win legally. Legally, as in the votes are there. You don't even have to cheat. And because everyone voted the right way, you don't even have to bash them on the streets afterwards. But the cycle of manipulation started beforehand. So yeah, it's really interesting that we do need to build in that resilience because I think that most people are not able to see those complex patterns of being cornered and then there's no way out. I think that was a really interesting story. And if you want to put the tinfoil hat back on, I think there's science that is sort of impeaching into everybody's life in the quote-unquote liberalized Western world. I'm going to share with you something on, on Telegram now, and 
if you do tweet about this podcast, I would love for you to share this thread as well. You may or may not have read it, but it's just so important that I think everybody reads it. But we actually, I'm pretty sure you can share your screen. I can. Okay. You want to try sharing your screen? Let's do it. By the way, I listened to your podcast with Web3 podcast. Oh, with, yeah, with Callum. The good fellow Britishman. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> nice, concise. Certainly a lot less conspiracy stuff like this one. Yeah, yeah. I think we have a relationship that's been built on this podcast, right? So I'm always much more keen to, to talk about the wider scope of life and not just crypto. But this is the thread I was talking about. And I would encourage every single person to read it because it's not too long in terms of how threads go, but it will really convey to you why it's so important that every single person in the world has the right to transact freely. And whether that's through crypto or it's through fiat or it's through debit card, credit card, whatever it might be, it should be enshrined to the highest order. hundred percent. And we are going down a pretty bad path. I can have many days of arguments as well, but the United State, but there's a recent case here in Australia as a famous Twitter account, PR guy. And he posts like pro-government stuff and has a defamation lawsuit against him from a right-wing guy, but paradoxically. And the court has ordered Twitter to hand over the account's data and information. And I think regardless of which side of the political aisle you are, we should all be able to agree that's just fucked. Like you should not be having, there's just so many things that are wrong with it. And it's not the first one over here either. So yes, it's a, it's a complicated world out there, but web three keeps me some hope. I like that people are weird. They like to think it's out of the box and they're just building. There's a very high rate of like compostability and just like building on top of so even if we get something right now that it's not quite there yet, there's a new iteration on top. And uh, yeah, I'd be paying attention with the few governments that are like very pro-crypto. I had a chat with someone yesterday in Dubai and there's some pretty bad stuff happening over there. I think Web3, one of the most beautiful aspects of it is every, everybody's moving forward, right? Like nobody, none of the true builders and the true believers really give a fuck about what the price is. It just determines whether or not they get, you know, a bigger dinner that night, I guess. But everybody's always moving forward. And I think it's important for a lot of people to always be moving forward in life, because if you're not moving forward, you're just standing still. And at worst, you're moving backwards. So if you can catch yourself in this wave that is Web3, and you can dive into the huge ocean of crypto and blockchain, then I would encourage you and anybody to do so because you will get swept up by it one way or another because it's coming. It might not be here tomorrow for everybody. It might not be here next week or next month. For five years, 10 years, it's going to be prevalent in everybody's life. And hopefully if it's executed properly, then it's actually going to liberate people to an extent. Very well said. You'll clip that one for the promotions. One of my favorite lines from the 2007-2018 bubble, bull run, and I guess bubble, which really pisses me off because 
I believed in the course so strongly, I didn't sell. Not at 20, not at 15, not at, I didn't sell at three. I just didn't sell at all, which was actually probably not the best decision. But anyway, there was this like article, which these are, are always the best ones. They say something in a way that it's meant to be an attack. Like it is demeaning, it is condescending. And I love it because it's accurate. <laughs> the article said there's this bunch of like weirds and misfits and anarchists. And now they are armed with fucking hundreds of millions of capital to keep pursuing their agenda. And I was like, damn fucking straight. This is a movement that it's self-funding. And the more people that we can recruit with a vision to do things differently, the stronger it gets. It is the perfect equation of decentralization. The talent is decentralized to just push code. Anyone can engage. And, and the way that the economics of Bitcoin are set up are so smart. And people back in the day would ask me, oh, what happens if Warren Buffett buys all of the Bitcoin? I was like, we'll say thank you because he's going to have to buy all the Bitcoin really expensive. And the minute that it becomes a Buffett-controlled entity or a Goldman Sachs-controlled entity, we'll fork that motherfucker. we cash out and fork it and make it decentralized again. This is 2017, 2018. A few things have changed, but overall, I think that it is important to bring back the ethos. And I really do appreciate you always bringing us back to, I guess, like the builder mentality or the positive framework, because I guess that it is easy for me to get caught up on all the bad stuff. And that's a common denominator. I think everyone can see the shit happening in the world. The important thing is to always be drawn back to the vision of the technology and the ethos of fiber building. And I also think that if more people were aligned on that why, we would be a lot more immune to price shocks. Because once again, like it doesn't matter if it's 17,025 or 40, or if near is 20 or three. I mean, that kind of did matter because I wanted to buy a house, but <laughs> you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I see exactly what you're trying to say. But I'm not sure how much I could talk about price of the wider crypto market, but let me separate. Zero speculation. Let me separate near the ethos behind it from crypto as an investment tool. And I don't mean near the wider crypto market. Who take your circle of friends out and already pretty young guy. How many of them really wake up with a few extra hundred dollars in their bank and say, Hey, I'm going to invest this month and I'm going to invest in Peloton or Netflix or Meta or fucking Copper, whatever it might be. I know for me. That's almost zero. It's almost zero. I have very few friends who are engaged with the traditional stock market, but everybody is interested in buying Bitcoin, in buying Ethereum. We saw a crazy hype around Doge and Shiba and as much damage as those might have done to people financially, it actually served as a bridge for people to get into the world of Web3 and be curious. And being curious is half the battle. As soon as you're curious, you're going to get sucked in. A thousand percent. I would say that Australians are disproportionately more invested in the stock market and buying real estate. But I'm aware that my view is a bit skewed just to people that I've met while I'm here. In your worldview, you're obviously surrounded by a bunch of anarchists, but it doesn't matter because I guess the point is, I acknowledge that there are many groups of people with different like tendencies and interests. How can we 
create something that is appealing for everyone or that serves everyone. Like with crypto, we have to know that some people want to come in as investors. Some people come in as builders. And by the way, this bear cycle I've realized very few of the actual builders are investors. Like I've been talking about DJ and DeFi shit for months and this bear cycle, they told me I've never farmed. Like I barely stake. Like I've helped people stake with Metapool and it's two clicks. And these are builders get paid well and they're just not focused on those things. So we've got investors, builders, users, artists, like there's many different groups. And yeah, I guess that this can probably tell this into your community engagement role. And I'm really interested because obviously you've been there and you've seen the evolution of the marketing DAO. And I think that we're constantly asking ourselves like, how do these communities create, evolve? How do we support them? How do we not? There's definitely patterns that we can see that are not positive for the community or for us. And yeah, the industry is changing a lot as well. Yeah. If you want to take it back to my role, I think a, a big part of my role is going to be working with like social media. How do we best engage the community from that one to many platform? I am of the opinion <clears throat> and I very well could be incorrect, but I think the way that Nia presents itself is a little gray and a little boring and prior hopefully prior to me taking the rein on this we weren't really willing to take risks with a public facing post which might rub some people up the wrong way or take a tongue-in-cheek style approach to shouting about the power of near right because ultimately what do we want to achieve we want to empower people to have full control over their finances their right of governance and their data and i think we can shout about that but we can shout about it even louder and we can get people talking back to us and telling us what they want to see. And I think that's something that we've, <clears throat> I don't want to say we failed to do, but I think we could do better with it. And then another huge part of it is listening to what everybody in the community has to say, because the Neo Foundation is not as much as some people like to think that it is. It's certainly not an ivory tower where they just send out commandments and there might be some element of that in it but a part of my job is to fight for the community's right to party and lead itself in the direction that it wants to be led with a certain nudge from the biggest stakeholders i am really happy for your new appointment especially in the way that it happened there is something to the kind of roles or evolution that are organic and i refer our audience to you know you've been organically nominated for like the memer of the year. And there's been like another series of like titles that people, you know, in a very affectionate way would like to postulate you for. And I think that they just really appreciate that level of, it really comes down to authenticity. It's not about the message. I'll try to link as many of your masterpieces in social media. And I couldn't tell you the content specifically, although I'm sure that you were talking about some like specific feature or event or whatever the case may be, but I could quote you the context of what makes it funny. There's that element of, oh, that's smart. That's, you appreciate somebody taking the time and you're like, oh, that hits. If you put your TikTok hat on, you've got 15 seconds to engage with people. It gets it through the video. It's a double tap. The algorithm spreads and 
yeah, like most things in marketing, you usually need a number of like touch points with a user before they even start considering buying. I think it was the same to Seth Godin, one of those. And he was saying that if you look at the Mercedes-Benz marketing, they're not telling you, oh, you walked out of your house this morning, go buy a Mercedes-Benz. That's not what they're selling you. They're selling the brand and the dream and the prestige to fucking 14-year-olds. Like when you make the money and when you want to feel like you've accomplished stuff, you buy your Mercedes-Benz and you join the clan. So yeah, it's a really interesting type of marketing. There's a very heavy focus on awareness. Like people need to recognize near as a player in Web3. Then they have to understand what it does, how it does it, how it's different. And then there is the literally unlimited world of all the people building on top of Nier. And that's something that maybe you can weigh in as well, because I find it challenging that when you take on a marketing role, I'm going to say you, it's broadly, it could be me as a YouTuber, it could be anyone. Some teams perhaps are more heavily on the technical side and maybe the expectations of what they do for their own marketing, because it's their product and they should own their users and how much the ecosystem can provide to them, which up until now, we're extremely lucky that it's a small ecosystem and we try to support everyone, but there's increasingly more tension about who is taking which load. And yeah, no, a lot of that is, is going to change. We do have a recently appointed CMO, another Brit, he's called Jack. He's got curlier hair than I do. He's a lovely guy and he knows what he's talking about. Like he, he used to be with Circle. And he really has the bull by the horns in terms of developing Nia's marketing strategy. But I think, or at least, I think part of the reason why I, my career path took this step to community engagement lead is because, and I know you're proficient at it as well. There's almost like an underlying crypto Twitter web three language, right? There's a culture there that you need to immerse yourself in every single day if you want to tap into it. Like, I'm convinced that very few people at Nia Foundation would know what like inverse bra was and all of these like little tiny jokes that people have together in the wider crypto ecosystem. And it's really up to me, I hope, to seize the memes of production and develop a strategy for speaking directly to these people as well as making it palatable to those who are in web two to come over to web three. And it's certainly not an easy task, but I think all those TikToks I produce, like nobody, no, I'm of the opinion that very few people have an attention span anymore. So anything longer than like a minute and a half, people just click off. Nobody reads anything. Why would you read, why would you read it when you could just watch it or listen to it? And I think it's adapting strategies to this new generation. And there's nothing wrong with it. I don't have an attention span either, unless I really try. I think I'm going to be one of the last few standing with the reading flag. I don't get to do it much anymore, but when I do, I really enjoy it. Like I picked up a few books recently. I picked up one about the holographic universe mind-blowing stuff like quantum physics and shit. And then I picked up science fiction, three-body problem. That one I'm rereading. And I spent 10 minutes reading and then I go on Twitter and I was like, why would people do this to themselves? These short tweets and most of them are shit hot takes. And But something about the brain, like I just keep getting tricked into going to Twitter. But no, I was going to say, look, I'm really happy 
we have a new CMO. I know that we'll be meeting him very soon. I didn't know that he was coming from Circle. And we can cut this bit out, but I've heard that a new chief boss, I've heard that Mariak is bringing in a lot of bankers to the foundation. And it's a statement that when people say it, it like lingers in the air because it's not really clear whether it is good or bad or whether the person saying it is suggesting it is good or bad. But I think that if I had to give my personal take and my views on this have evolved and are evolving, when you look at the people that make up the public face of Web3, and I probably put myself there, they're great at being the public face of Web3 for whatever has to be communicated and what has to be described as entertainment value at best. Maybe that's not the people you want running the foundation. And the people running the foundation may not be the people you want being the public face. So I think that it could potentially be a really good, healthy shift if we recognize and respect each other's boundaries. We shouldn't be too harsh or understand when they do things that need to be done. You know, KYC, among other things, could be one of them. But then we also got to make sure that we keep the things that may be seen as wild and rowdy. And maybe that didn't make sense in the short term on the community side. They're probably also needed. So yes, uh, I don't want to incriminate you, but if there's anything that you want to add. No, I, I think uh, as to whether or not Maurice is onboarding a lot of bankers, I, I'm not familiar with all the new hires background, so I couldn't say for sure. But I know there's a lot of people from the traditional legal world coming in to, to make sure that we do everything by the book. And I think it's really important that we do because Neo Foundation itself is maturing and it's maturing to a point where can't really go fast and break things anymore. And it shouldn't because it's now a thought leader in the space. And it's what governments and regulators will be looking at when they determine what to do in terms of regulatory red tape around the industry. But what we can do and what I would certainly encourage anybody listening to do is to go out and go fast and break things. But do it with a, an element of caution there because things are changing, things are changing fast, but somebody needs to be the fast mover and I will do everything I can to empower you to be able to do it. I think there's some natural confusion and misunderstanding and we should have probably cleared this up at the beginning of the podcast, but what does the foundation actually do? Because I know that the foundation and your ink split so Near Inc. becomes the engineering body, they ship products. Near Inc. later on further evolves into Pagoda. So now it's a bit broader. It's a Web3 sort of like incubator agency services, core infrastructure. So the Near Foundation is left with. Yeah, so the Near Foundation, our main responsibility is to really advocate around everything to do with Near and to encourage people to build on Near and to increase awareness of Near. What we don't do is build products. We don't develop the, we don't develop the protocol. We don't develop wallet.near.org, but we encourage people and we distribute funding for people to be able to go out and build that infrastructure and build the next big thing. That's the main part of our role. And we're also to an extent. So community and growth. Yeah. Community and growth as well. Absolutely. If we weren't responsible for that, I wouldn't have a job. So there is a few core near foundation 
Telegram and Discord channels, which we're responsible for maintaining, engaging people on. But it goes a lot further than that because we're also responsible for setting people up for success who want to build communities on and around Neo. And do I think we're achieving it? Yes, to an extent. Is there room for improvement? 100%. And I think that's what's about to happen. That's awesome. I think it's winter. Sundays are slow and they always lead to like flexion. I was going through, I spent a lot of time on the governance forum, as you probably know. And for a very brief moment, I, I felt bad for a lack of a more complex English language that my most popular posts on the forum were also like maybe not the best times in the community, but there were some contentious issues. And I feel like most of these issues have been addressed where there is an awareness to work towards, but yeah, things have changed a lot since. And I guess I'm still around. Others may have a, a different role or a, yeah, lesser presence. And yeah, it just made me reflect on the focus and make sure that we're always like adding and building instead of taking people down, but also the need to have the humility to like just make changes where necessary. And I actually take pride in having sent messages to the people that have ch changed roles, just thanking them and encouraging them to stay within the community because I do genuinely think that this doesn't help me a lot. And as you mentioned, like they should be able to find a team within the community to take them on board and continue adding value in, in different ways. So yeah, looking forward to new times. Absolutely. What I would say is that there, it's not going to be plain sailing, right? It's far from. There's going to be more contentious issues. There's definitely going to be more active discussion between community members and the Nia Foundation when, in terms of the direction that things go, particularly on the community-driven side of things. But I would like to encourage you again, Alejandro, to jump on the forum and share all those thoughts if and when those times come. And the same for everybody who's listening, because ultimately it, it is a community-driven platform and it should be even more driven by the community and the ecosystem than it is. And that burning bright light of the Nia Foundation needs to be turned down a little bit. It doesn't need to go out, but over the next five, six, seven, eight, however long, it does need to dim. And the bright light of the ecosystem and the community needs to shine stronger. How much do you feel or I guess no? I'm just wondering, I know that during the early days, and to be fair, the governance forum was much, much smaller, but I feel like there was a lot more engagement, core team and foundation engaging on the forum, at least sharing information. Like I, I recall the days when I posted like the Dragon Bridge and proposing a bridge between Binance Smart Chain and Near. I feel like if I were to propose something similar today, I don't know if the governance forum would be the best place to go, or I guess now with the context that I have, maybe I would tap, I don't know, like Mark or Ecosystem Growth or Cameron Dennis. So I'm thinking for the new community members and always being mindful that the community is expanding every day, what would be the best ways, I guess, yeah, to share, get noticed, get involved, communicate things. I really like your mentioning the one-to-many. I think that's so important. One-to-one -one doesn't scale. That's why we record this podcast. 
hopefully there is some bit of insight or wisdom or, I don't know, insurrection there and more than one person can take value from it at a time. So yeah, how would you recommend people get involved? Yeah, so I'm on the governance forum every day right now. And despite the restructuring, probably multiple check it every single day. So if you have something which is crazy and which is out there and that you think is maybe not ready for a grant or it's something that the protocol development team should take a look at directly, I would encourage you to throw it on the forum because it still does get attention. It still is directed to the right people. And I'll give you a concrete example of that. There's been a discussion on the governance forum recently around reducing like the lower tier for like gas fees to make it even cheaper so that X, Y, or Z can occur. I can't remember the details about it, but you did see the people who contribute to the protocol there openly discussing it and understanding why it was necessary. So the forum is still a good place for that. And that's going to get better from a user experience point of view. Can't give you a timeline as to when because things have obviously changed, but it's still a, an important pillar of the community. Awesome. It's good to hear. To be fair, I am usually very much on the marketing DAO section of the forum. I do venture out to the other sections when I get a chance, but maybe I just haven't had as much visibility. There are a couple of things. I will be posting one is they're all good. Don't worry. I saw your face. There may be a delay. Maybe it's a nicotine. No, there's a conference in Singapore just after Nikon, like end of September. I think I tweeted about it yesterday. I'm not sure. You did. And yeah, I did. You did tweet about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. No one reacted. Lol. But yeah, I don't know who'd be the near person in charge of that kind of sponsorships and potentially a look if anyone from near can go. I think there's going to be a pretty solid presence from a lot of the other blockchains. So it'd be good if anyone can make it. I know that they're probably all going to be completely destroyed after Neocon, but. Yeah, sponsorships and things, it's generally the wider marketing team. And then Yadira, who, who is our wonderful events lead, would organize and plan everything should that be the case. But if anybody has anything like that, that they want Nia to attend, you can post about it on the forum and I will see it. Or you can email me directly at david at nia.foundation and I will send that straight out. But on that, Alejandro, I'm afraid I have another call in the next 60 seconds, but it was a pleasure. David, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I love that when you booked, you know, there's questions like things to help me prepare and you're like, nope, we've known each other for long enough, we'll wing it. And I think we did. I think we did. I think we did. And I think it's more organic, right? Much like the TikToks that we create. Nice, nice. We're looking forward to your next TikTok and yeah, we'll keep in touch. You too, man. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because, well, let's be honest, you are amazing. And I also want to remind everyone that everything contained in this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of advice, and you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you soon. Bye.